Good Friday, as it is called. We're glad for those who are joining us online as well. We're going to start off the teaching part of the service here with a scripture reading. Joshua is going to come up and, and read for us our scripture tonight. Come on. Oh, we need a little microphone over here for him, so we'll grab this guy over here. His mama had her wisdom teeth out today. So she's at home recovering from that. John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. If you saw our announcement for today, are looking at those words of Jesus, it is finished. And what exactly was finished? There's a lot of people who have made some guesses, but you wouldn't know that they're guesses because they're just kind of talking like it's, that's what happened. But what is it mean when he said, it is finished? There are people who will make, as we said, supposition. I put this down as things imagined. These are things that people have imagined. People have thought, well, maybe this is what was finished in this. And so they they talk about it. One of the things I've, I've heard is that the law was finished. How many have ever heard that one? When Jesus died on the cross, the law was finished. And um, that's not true. Because the law was not finished at the death of Jesus. Jesus taught very uh, specifically in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now look at this, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Now, did John come before, at, or after the cross? John was before the cross. In fact, John, his ministry was before Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is saying before Jesus' ministry even started, when John started, the law's over. The law was in, now it's not that the law, we just throw it out, but how God dealt with people, how God dealt with man through the law was until John. This is Jesus' teaching. He did not say until the cross. So what does that mean by, about people who got the revelation that it is finished means the law is finished? That would mean that's not quite the revelation that is to be had there, is it? He went on to say, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached. So the message from the time of John, which, is with, which was the time until the law and the prophets, once John came on, the message is the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Now, he goes on and he continues to teach, but that's what I wanted you to see. The law was until John. So, if there was any finishing of the law to be done, the finishing of the law was going to be done by when? John. Now, again, don't throw out all the law, because there's a whole lot in the law that teaches us about God, 
And these are still things that God wants us to do. It still tells us what His will is. He just changed how He was dealing with people. Now, what about this? Some people say that everything for redemption and salvation was done at the cross. And when Jesus said it is finished, salvation is finished. Salvation is obtained. How many have ever heard that one? Salvation is obtained. Redemption is obtained. What Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross paid for our redemption. How many have ever heard that? All right. Let's take a look at that one. In John 20, in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Weist puts this translation this way. Jesus says to her, Stop clinging to me. Now, how many... I've even uh, sometimes looked at it this way. How many have ever heard that Jesus couldn't be touched? Okay, that's not what that said. There's a word in the Greek for touch, and that word is not used here. What this word is, is cling. That's why it is translated that way in many different translations. Not only does Weist put it this way, but Williams does as well. Let's finish Weist out. He said, Stop clinging to me, for, I, for not yet have I ascended to the Father. But be on your way to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Williams puts it this way. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet gone up to my Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It seems like, by the way he words this, that from the time that Mary saw him until the time that the disciples see him later on, Jesus makes an ascension to the Father, presents his blood, and then comes back on down. And that's very very possible. That's That had gone on. Jesus was going to present his blood. Now, if Jesus needed to ascend to the Father with his blood to put his blood on the altar, then was salvation and redemption finished at the cross? It would seem to be not, right? Because if he still has to go to heaven and go into the temple not made by hands, as Hebrew puts it, there's a temple not made by hands, there's an altar up there, Moses saw all this, patterned it to the tabernacle after it. If Jesus still has to go up, take his blood and put it on the altar, which Hebrews tells us he did as the high priest, then that's part of the redemption salvation. There's no other reason to put blood on the altar except for redemption and salvation. So if that has not been done at the point of the cross, then is it possible that Jesus has in mind redemption and salvation when he says it is finished? It is not. That cannot be what he means. Now later on he's going to tell Thomas, he doesn't tell Thomas to touch him. He does not say, Thomas, touch me. Some people look at it it's the same. It's not even the same English word in there. He tells Thomas, he says, reach your hand and reach your finger. He said, "Take your hand, reach your hand and put it in my side. Take, reach your finger and put it into the hole in my hand. Now, some people will go into extremes and say, well, he never actually touched him because he didn't go there or he wouldn't have touched him because he would have been putting the hands in the, the holes of his hand. No, nah, I don't think there's anything to, that, to all that. The problem with Mary and touching Jesus is that Jesus said, cling. More than likely, you're looking at, I gave you two translations, Williams and Weiss, who both specialize in the verb of the Greek to try and translate it, 
What this is saying in the Greek is not don't touch me, not don't cling to me. He is saying stop it. He is talking about an action that is already going on. So more than likely, Mary has seen Jesus, threw herself at him, and is clinging to him. Now here's the thing that's that's going on with this. Why does Jesus say, stop clinging to me? Because Mary is clinging to Jesus, not in faith, but because she's afraid to lose him. She is not going to, I can't let you go because I don't know if you're ever going to come back. You already went away from me. I'm going to hang on here. He says, no, I need to go. I need to ascend to my father. You need to stop clinging to me so that I can go and I can do this. I'll get this done, then I'll be back. And so she had to release him and by faith believe that he was going to come back, which she did. Now, that to me makes a little more sense into the whole picture of things. But again, we saw what it doesn't mean in, in those things. Let's take a look at some other things. How about, how about this? Maybe when Jesus said, it is finished, he is saying that all the things that were prophesied about me are finished because Jesus says it is finished right after they give him the, the sour wine. And that's one of the things that was prophesied. That he would thirst and they would give him the sour wine. You did notice that the scripture, as it was being read, the scripture was, uh, it was brought up by hyssop. Anybody remember where the hyssop came from? Passover. And the first Passover, not the ones that went on after that, but the first Passover, they took the blood of the lamb and they dipped it with the hyssop. And they took the hyssop and they splattered it on. That is the same thing that they used to bring the sour wine up to Jesus. So if he's talking about prophecy, if he's, if he's saying it is finished, we just got the last prophecy done. They brought the, brought me the sour wine. If that is true, that that's what he was talking about. Uh, well, there's, there's, uh, prophecies in the scriptures that no bones of his would be, would be broken. So that's because he's the Passover lamb. So no bones of his would be broken. And when they come up to him, and he's on the cross, because how they would do this is they would break the legs because what the people were doing on the cross, trying to breathe. Because actually, crucifixion was not a thing that you would die from blood loss. You would die from suffocation because of the way that you were hung on the cross. So you, they would have you on these nails, and your body would just get weak, and you would sink down. And when you were sunk down in this position, you could not breathe. So the way that they, you would breathe is you would push up with your legs, get a breath, and then you, you were too worn out, and so you would relax. And, uh, and eventually, you didn't have the strength in your legs to push up anymore. So the Jews, the Romans, they don't care. They'd leave you up there for days until finally your strength gave out. They'd want you to suffer. They just they like that. But the Jews said, no, we can't have this happen over a holy day. And the following day was going to be a Sabbath. It was the first day of the feast. It was not a Sabbath as in a Saturday. It was the first day of the feast. So we can't have that. So they go over and they break the legs of them so that they can no longer push up and then death would be there in minutes. And so they, that's how they would, they would do this. And so they came to the two prisoners that had to break their legs. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that Jesus was already dead. So they didn't break his leg. When Jesus was finished... He had not hit that point where they would break his leg. That prophecy is not fulfilled until they take him off the cross. So there's one prophecy that is not being fulfilled. So when he says it is finished, 
more than likely that's not referring to that, but that's not the only one. In Isaiah 53.9, I gave you the reference there, you can go look that up if you want to, it said that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. It said he would be crucified with the, with the criminals, and he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Has he been buried yet? No. So that prophecy is not fulfilled. We haven't fulfilled the prophecy of being born in a, or buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, how about the prophecy of being raised on the third day? Now, Jesus spoke this, but he also gave the sign as in the sign of Jonah. If you remember in Matthew 12, 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we're using Jonah as a type. Jonah was a uh, living prophecy in that just as Jonah was in the belly of the of the uh, fish, Jesus was going to be in the heart of the earth. So that's a prophecy. Jesus is referring to it as a prophecy. Has he been in the earth for three days? That would be no. That has not occurred. And he has not been resurrected yet either on the third day, which is still to come. So there's still some prophecies here that need to go on. In Hosea 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will build us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise, rise us up, that we may live in his sight. Now, most see that as a prophetic reference to the day, but also a futuristic reference to Jesus Christ being raised on the third day. And again, we know how many times did Jesus say, on the third day, I will rise. So this is still a prophecy that has, been, has to be fulfilled. So if Jesus says, it is finished, and he's referring to the prophetic things that were done, then how come we still have prophecies that need to be done? So I would say that when he says it is finished, he is not referring to prophecies. Because there are still some prophecies that are going to be taking place about the Son of Man. Now how about things that are accomplished? There are things that he had to accomplish in his day. Uh, one of the things was he had to, he had to go to hell to pay for Pay for what was what uh, our penalty. As we said, the three days and nights in the heart of the earth, that's something he had to accomplish. He had to present his blood on the altar. That's something he has not accomplished. He needed to come back from the dead to be resurrected to walk with his disciples for a period of time so that they could be witnesses of his life, his death, and his resurrection. They gave testimony of his resurrection. If Jesus lived on this earth, if he died on this earth, and he did not walk with his disciples in his resurrected state, his mission would not be finished, would it? He needs to get this done. He needs to accomplish this. That hasn't happened yet. He also needs to tell them to wait in Jerusalem for, what is it? The Holy Spirit. Tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell them to do this. They didn't know that they were supposed to do this until Jesus came and told them. 
There wasn't any other thing that they could look at. Jesus came and he told them this. This is a message he had to get across to them. It was important that they all be there in Jerusalem. Other people were there too, but he needed his 12 disciples who were going to be witnesses of his death, of his life, and his resurrection. And then they were going to receive power and they were going to go out and be witnesses with that power. So these things need to be finished. So what things are needing to be finished? In Luke 22, 35, and he said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, knapsack, and sandals. Did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. This which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have and end. The things concerning me have an end. What's that mean? The things concerning him will have a finish. So he said to him, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. Obviously, they were not getting the message. So, we just need to go on. Hopefully, we get the message later on. He said, the things concerning me have an end. Now, I want to take you over to Paul's life. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, Paul writes this to Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. What does that mean? The time of my departure is at hand. He's going to, He's getting ready to die. I believe this is around the time when Nero took over. He was uh, in charge... And they just had the big fire in Rome. Paul, as you, uh, if you ever listened to Rick Renner on this, you'll know Paul is not in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison because he's associated with arsonists. And this is what Nero is going to put him to death for. Paul knows his time is coming to the end. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So here Paul gives us an example of someone who finished, right? But take a look at this. Verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the, that day, and not only me, not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Now, right there, just in that one verse, in that one verse, he is telling us that he still has things to do once he's dead. Right? I still have to get... I'm still going up there. I'm collecting at least this this crown. He's probably got some other ones too. But I'm at least collecting this crown. He's not finished yet, is he? But he says, I'm finished. Same kind of wording that Jesus did. Here's, Here's what we got. Let's go over to John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son and your, your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, and that you should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. Look at this. I have finished the work 
which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying right here exactly what it was that was finished. What was finished? What God gave him to do between the time that he was born on this earth until the time that he was crucified on the cross, he had a certain amount of things that he was to do. And what he is saying here in this prayer, Father, I accomplished all of them. I have done all the things that you asked me to do. And so when he's on the cross and he says it is finished, he is not referring to prophecy. He's not referring to all the things that are necessary for salvation or redemption. He's not referring to the law. He's not referring to anything else that people want to dream up and put in there. He's referring to what you gave me to do, I have finished. Now, you could probably say that at the time that Jesus was saying that, he had not finished the cross. That was not an opportunity yet. He has finished everything up to that point. The cross still wasn't ahead of him. And he's about ready to take that on. And when he finished at the cross, and he laid his life down at the cross, everything was done. He still has more to do when he comes back and gets resurrected. But he said, what you have given me to do with this life, with this life that I was born into this earth with, what you have given me to do, I have finished. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither was neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me. In other words, I have assignments. I need to work the works of the one who sent me. He needed to go out. He needed to preach the gospel. He needed to minister to people the power of God. He needed to confront the non-righteous religion that was going on in the land of Judea. And you could probably add some more things to that list, but there's, there's some, some basic things for that. What, I, what we're, went over all this for is simply for this. Just because a conclusion is reached doesn't mean it's right. And it certainly does not excuse you from the word that we are exhorted to study to show yourself approved. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. There's a whole lot of people out there that hear something said and just go with it. Well, it is finished means the law. All right, well, then the law is all done. And then we go on with all kinds of crazy things from there. Well, prophecy is all done. Well, salvation is, is all done. Nope, you need to, you may hear some things that people say, but we still need to go out there and study them. I always love what the Bereans did when Paul came to their city and he taught them. They listened to Paul intently and they went home and they studied the scriptures to see if those things were so. That's what we need to do. We need to go into the scriptures and study to see if these things are so. I can come to conclusions myself and they can be wrong. I can hear conclusions that other people have reached and they can be wrong. They might even be spiritual people. They can still come up with some wrong things. Just because a person is a spiritual person and they say something doesn't mean I just am to accept it. I need to study it. I need to take it back to scriptures. I need to say, all right, if this is so, where is it in the scripture? Study to show yourself approved. 
it's important that you do these things. Accepting a wrong conclusion, whether it comes to you or you hear it from somebody else, means that truth will be missed. And if truth is missed, then bondages will not be broken. Because what is it that breaks bondages? The truth will set them free. Darkness will be maintained because the light won't come in because the truth is, is shunned. And here's the big one, talking about on Sunday with the power of the sower. You will become a sower of bad seed. There's a whole lot of people out there that have heard conclusions that other people have come to, have not studied them out themselves, and have gone on and spread that same seed. And they have become a sower of bad seed because they didn't check it out. They didn't go into the Word and, and see what this is about. Here's another thing. You will become resistant to new revelations that God wants to give you. True ones. He wants to show you some new, true revelations. But as long as you hang on to those wrong ones, then you won't receive those new ones. Wrong conclusions, they come from all kinds of places. They come from other people's opinions about God. They come from their opinions about the Word. They come from other people's opinions about life. Don't you hear people who come to conclusions about life and how God looks on things? They don't have any scripture for it. They just came to a conclusion. There are also things that the enemy will speak or reveal to you. The enemy will speak words to Christians. The enemy will spiritually reveal things to Christians, which is why in John, 1 John, it says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. You've got to test them. Just because you get something as a spiritual revelation does not mean you got it from the right spirit. You've got to go out there and check that thing out. Because you're the ones who's, who's responsible. God's not the only one who's looking to, sh- to show you some things, some spiritual things. He's not the only one. But God's desire is to help you. The enemy's desire is to harm you. Make sure you test the spirits. There's another way that we can get things, and that's things that we reason out. I understand this and this, and so I reason myself into this area over here. I didn't get a revelation. I reasoned it. We could spend some time and look at some of the things that the disciples reasoned out. We could look at some of the things that the Israelites reasoned out. Got them into trouble. What we receive in our flesh cannot compare to what we receive in our spirit. For many, though, the way they relate to God is through their flesh. And they do this so much that we think the flesh is the spirit. Some Christians can't tell the difference. They cannot tell the difference between something revealed to their flesh and something revealed to their spirit. And they put something revealed to their flesh on the same level. And that's why they go out there and say, well, God told me this. And you could say from Scripture, yeah, but Scripture says this, 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 and this. I don't know. God told me this because they cannot discern the difference between what was revealed in their flesh and what is revealed in their spirit. So, wrap this up. I want to do this for you. I want to give you three things. Three things that you can practice. You can make these habits. These are important things. It's, a, it's amazing what kind of stuff tries to sneak its way in on you. And yeah, how many have been up on Facebook? You see some of the things that people put up on Facebook. Spiritual things. Spiritual people putting things up on Facebook and they say this spiritual conclusion. And you think, oh dear Lord. But you look at the people that are, that are coming on and, you know, 100 likes, no dislike, all likes. Just, uh, oh, amen, brother. Oh, amen, sister. Oh, that's good. That's good. 
and they, they say these things. I was uh, up there this week, and somebody put up something, and I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, that, all right, I'm just not getting the context. They quoted a pastor of theirs, I guess is what it was, and they said something to the effect that Jesus had victory over the cross before they even grew the tree. All right, that didn't make sense to me. I, I saw I said, all right, I just put up there. That's not making sense to me, but maybe I'm missing something because it's pulled out of the context. And so they gave me a scripture reference. I went to the scripture reference. It said nothing about what they were dealing with. So I put that up. Well, it says absolutely nothing about what you're dealing with. And so what they're trying to say is, before Jesus went to the cross, the victory was obtained before the trees even grew. That's what they're trying to say. So I wrote back and said, all right, this is bad. No one's put anything up there to, to, to see that, but that's a bad doctrine. So I put up there all kinds of stuff about this. I said, no, that is not the case. Jesus did not get the victory before the foundation of the world. He did not get the victory at the garden. He did not get the victory in the Old Testament. He got the victory at the cross. He got the victory by being obedient and going to the cross. He got the victory because he didn't call down angels and be delivered from the cross. He got the victory because he's in the garden praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't go with his plan. He went with God's plan. That's why he got the victory. He got the victory because he suffered on the cross. He got the victory because he died on the cross. That's how he got the victory. And this person is trying to say he got the victory a long, long time ago. Like there was no effort in it. No, there was tremendous effort in it. Don't you try and take away from my Savior Jesus did. He won at a, a huge victory, but he won it at the cross. But you see, people will put stuff up there. Well, I got this revelation. Well, not from the word you didn't. These things are important because they take you away. Once you take that doctrine in, you're no longer going to receive other things that God could show you about that because you're still on this thing. Well, God, he got the victory way back before the foundation of the world whenever they wanted to say he got it. Three things. Ready for this? You can write them in if you want to. Only blanks that you got today. Three things. Practice these. Make them habits. You will. Ch if you can make these three things part of your normal day, that every single day you're focused on these three things and you make them a habit, you make them a practice, you make them something that is just so much into your thinking that, you, that this, this won't go out. If you will do this, you will change your life. You will change the kind of revelation that you get in yourself. First thing to say in here, the number one thing, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. In other words, be ordered by your spirit man. Do not be led by your emotions. When you get emotions and you're all getting stirred up by your emotions, do not let them lead you. You can have them. Have emotions. You don't have to be a Spock. Cast out all emotions. You don't have to do that. But what you have to do is not let your emotions lead you. Walk by the Spirit. If you get irritated at somebody, do not speak out of the irritation. Speak out of the Spirit what God is telling you to say. That doesn't mean that... You, if it's all flowery and nice, it's out of your spirit. No, because sometimes out of your spirit will come some very stern things. Some very stern things came out of Moses' spirit to speak to the people. Some very stern things came out of God's mouth to speak to Abraham. 
to speak to the children of Israel, to speak to whomever. There were some stern things came out. The Spirit of God spoke some very stern thing to his man, Elijah. <laughs> he spoke some very stern things to Eli. He even spoke some stern things to Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel was a good guy. But one time he was having a hard time letting something go. And God said, get up. He spoke sternly to him. Just because it's stern does not mean it's flesh. you got to make sure you tune into your spirit. You do this when you're speaking to your kids. You do this when you're speaking to your parents. You do this when you're speaking to your friends. You do this when you're speaking to your boss. You do this when you're speaking to anybody. When words leave, you tune into your spirit. It is a habit. I don't let my emotions take me and begin to speak things. Well, I just said that because I was mad. Then you, you were responding in your flesh. You were not walking by your spirit. Walk by the spirit, the word says, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is something we can do, something that we should do. I got to make sure that I am constantly ordered by what my spirit is saying. If you can get this into your thinking, if you can get this into the way that you operate in your life, it's going to change you and it will change the kind of revelations that you get. Walk in the spirit. Ready for number two? Learn and practice obedience. Learn it. And practice. Jesus learned obedience and he was perfect. That means every time that he hit a challenging situation, he obeyed. And he had some challenging situations. But every time he hit a challenging situation, he obeyed. He chose to obey. He taught himself how to do that. He walked in this way. Brother Hagen, he taught us this when we were in school. I still remember him saying it. And I'm sure that there are some YouTube things that he has said this on. I've never, I've, I've listened to so many YouTube. I don't remember him saying this on any YouTube thing that I've watched. But when we were in school, he pounded this into us. We heard, we heard this so many times. And you've heard me say this before too. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Learn and practice obedience. Part of this is instantly obey the voice of your spirit. In other words, when something comes up in your spirit, you obey it like that. You don't do this stuff. Well, let's just test it out. Let me just see. All right, the Spirit of God said, don't leave right now. Let me just see what happens if I leave right now. No, that's not learning obedience. That's learning disobedience. Don't do that. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. When you get something down in your spirit, you obey it. You just do it. Spirit of God is saying, say this, speak this, do this. All right, I'll do it. You don't go home and try and figure it out. You don't go home and wait for a more opportune time. The Spirit of God comes up. He says this. You practice that. You practice it. God says, I want you to sow this. I want you to give this person this. You practice it. All right? You want me to do it? I'm going to step out here and do it. You practice it. You're listening. You're listening for these kind of things. You want to hear what he has to say. What has he got to say? Instantly obey. As soon as the Spirit speaks to you. As soon as the Spirit brings revelation to you. You obey it. As soon as it happens. You don't wait. The quicker you get on this, the better your life will be. 
Now, he is going to tell you to do some things that are very challenging. He will tell you some stuff that is going to challenge your faith. Of course he is. You need to learn obedience. And learning obedience is tough. But do it. That's two. Walk in the Spirit. Learn and practice obedience. Are you ready for number three? I don't know if this is harder or easier. But it is number three. Be always rejoicing, grateful, and thankful. Word of God says rejoice always. Tell us about what happens when, we, when people are not grateful and are not thankful. Always. Maintain this. All the time. You wake up in the morning. Don't tell me you woke up in a bad mood. You wake up in the morning and you rejoice. Your spirit says, I don't feel like rejoicing. I haven't done this yet. Tough. You're going to do it. You train yourself to do it. You train yourself to get in there. You wake up. Whatever it is, people are nasty to you. Be rejoicing. And as soon as something pulls you out of being rejoicing, what should you do? Get yourself back into it again. Something gets you to stop being grateful? Be grateful. Father God, I thank you. For a little bit there, I was looking at this thing over here, and I was not being so grateful because this wasn't being done. But you know what? I see this, and I see this, and I thank you so much for all these things. You stay grateful. Stay thankful for what it is he's done. The enemy knows the power of getting you out of that. Be rejoicing, grateful, and thankful. That's an attitude. You maintain that all the time. Don't ever let it down. If you do let it down, repent, get yourself back in, and get going. Oh, it'll be good. If you can do these three things, if every day you can focus on these three things, you will find out the revelations that you're getting in the Spirit are going to be better. They're going to be greater. And you're going to also be able to tell this. I still get amazed at some people. You know, some people, we get around them for a while. We're around them for, for a long time. And it just seems like some people, they just don't grow. They just, they don't grow. They can't tell anything false. It, they've never grown in that area. And then other people, they're just absorbing the word. And they'll come back, oh, I was listening to so-and-so. And they said this. And that doesn't seem like it's right to me. <laughs> That's exactly not right. Because this is what this verse says. And this is what this verse says. And this is what this verse says. Yeah, I was just thinking that something wasn't right about that. Just in my spirit, it came. Oh, we, my wife and I, we think that's, that is music to our ears. Oh, good. That means their spirits are being quickened with the word and they're hearing things that are false. That's what we need to do. If you can get these three things going in your life, you will change the direction of your life. Not something that you do once a, once a week. It's something you get this to be part of you. You get it to be part of you. I've told you before, you know, and I'm sure that this is the way with other sports, but cross-country can ruin you. More so than any other sport, cross-country can ruin you. Because once you get in, just one year, all you need is one year being a cross-country runner, doing the whole thing, and you are altered for the entire rest of your life. You will never look at things the same way. You will think differently than other people. It just alters you. It just messes you. My wife could get up here and she could probably tell you that you stay with ballet for a year. It will alter you. It will change you. Nikolai could probably get up here and say, if you uh, got involved with a musical instrument the way I've gotten involved in a music instrument and, and stayed there for a long time, it would change you if you can get in something like that. But I just know it from the runner standpoint that I, I've told people, uh, I've warned them, they get involved in the sports, says it will change you. If you, make it through the first, if you make it through the first year, not everybody does. If you make it through the first year, it will change you and you will never be the same. 
And I am never, I've never been the same since I went through that. My people look at you, they, they say, you're weird. I know. I know because it alters you. It changes that. But if you can get these three things down, you keep them going, it will alter you. People will look at you and say, you are weird. But God will look at you and say, I can do something with you. Walk in the Spirit. Learn obedience and practice it. Learn and practice obedience. And be always rejoicing, grateful, and thankful. Father, we thank you for your word. There are some things that are stated in your word, like Jesus says, it is finished, and people can look at that, and they can put all sorts of stuff on it. But if we just study your word, we can understand what it means. We can see from your word, because your word gives us clues, your word gives us light. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that your spirit speaks to us, as John points out in his epistle. We don't need anyone to teach us. The spirit on the inside of us can tell us when something is good or something is not. We can rely on that. We can depend on that. Because that spirit that's in us knows what is good and what is not. And it will bear witness to us the things that are good. Father, I thank you that we can change our life. We can change the direction that we're going. And we can be recipients of revelation and understanding things that will be helpful. And we can turn down those things that are revealed to us that are harmful, that won't help us in life. Thank you for the way that you change us. Thank you for sending your Son. You have forever altered our life. We give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, stand up with me if you would. It's so good to have you have you here tonight. Sunday we're going to be getting into some more things on the parable of the sower. On Sunday we're going to be looking at, at uh, probably our, our most, my most in-depth look I've ever looked at how to become fruitful. How to become the good soil. We're going to spend the entire day on it. We're going to be looking at things in the Scripture to help us understand how do I become that good soil. That good soil that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. What can I do to become that? So that's what we're going to spend our time with on, on Sunday. Thanks for coming on out here on this uh, Good Friday. We all know that Jesus didn't die on Friday, but it's a good night to be able to come on out. And uh, we appreciate y'all making it on out here with us. So bless them folks that are here. Thanks for joining us for those who are on online too.